I have my tequila. Oh, hey. <laughs> Tyler just went live first. Well, that's a good idea. Uh, hi, everybody. This is going to be a very interesting show. We are going to examine Tether, Bitfinex, everything that's going on, how it's affecting Bitcoin price action. We got the Maestros. Tyler's on today. Tone has a gorgeous background. And for the Spanish speakers here, actually, Tone, I'm in alignment. Well, Tyler just said that he's, you know, obviously drinking tequila, but mi mejor amiga es chilena. Ella viene a la ciudad esta noche aquí. And so I'm going to hide my background because I've been cooking Chilean food all day. But um, Tone, where are you at? It's gorgeous. Yes, I am by the beach. I had way too much tequila last night. So uh, it's been a rough morning, but uh, but the show has to go on. So here we are. <laughs> nice. Tyler, you already admitted that you're having tequila at uh, 9.50 a.m. We did a full show on this, but it looks like we're going to we're gonna go even crazier with Tone today. How's that, how's that drink doing? No, this is uh, Coke. <laughs> Coca-Cola? Yes, Coca-Cola. <laughs> how are you doing, partner? I'm doing great. This is, uh, I've been looking forward to this to hear Tone's take on it. A lot of people heard uh, Leah and I uh, go through the entire uh, report by uh, Brian Whitehurst, the Assistant Attorney General, and we went through it carefully, but I'm real interested in uh, what are the implications of this? Is this more than just turning over a rock in terms of maybe starting some really regulatory action? I've got my opinions, but I think we all want to hear what Tone's got to say. All right, let's, um, uh, I'm going to go straight to screen share. And uh, let's review what happened. I watched your show, Tyler, and it was excellent when you uh, went through the important parts of, uh, of that report. So I'm on screen share. Uh, let's just like uh, review the backstory for people. So uh, several decent articles. Uh, oh, that, I went a little too far. So uh, that's the bit for next claim. So let's start with the report itself, right? So um, I, after listening to you, I'm going to try and summarize it real quick. Um, back in uh, October, November, during that whole fiasco with uh, Tether falling to 85 cents on the dollar, it's like in hindsight, you know, when there's smoke, there's fire. Now, at the time, we didn't know why the hell are people panicking out of Tether, but clearly some people knew. And thank you, the New York Attorney General, that has shed light on that situation. So it looks like something happened to approximately $850 million that um, is, uh, that basically Bitfinex, the company, held. Now, Bitfinex, the company, held this money with crypto capital, and now crypto capital is under the gun because prior to... Um, last week, no one really knew what crypto capital was, though there have been a couple of articles written about crypto capital back in the day, but no one kind of paid attention. So something happened to $850 million of Bitfinex's money, not Tether's money, Bitfinex's money. And, um, and what happened was back in October, November, uh, because Bitfinex couldn't access $850 million, 
in order to make good on customer withdrawals, they had to take that money from Tether's account in order to fulfill customer withdrawals. And that's what that 23-page report, nope, not that one. Oh, no, that's this one. That's what that 23-page report stated with that um, with those messages between the person from Bitfinex and the person from Tether. Sorry, person from Bitfinex and a person from uh, Crypto Capital, where he says, if we don't make good on these withdrawals, Bitcoin can drop to $1,000. And uh, Crypto Capital didn't seem very, very eager uh, to return the $850 million. And, uh, and therefore, Bitfinex had no choice but to take the money from Tether. Now, when Bitfinex took that money from Tether, they amended their terms and conditions. And suddenly, on their website back in October, November, it no longer said every Tether it has a direct reserve of $1. It now said um, Tether is, is uh, being backed by physical dollars and other assets and loans. And that makes sense because it's like Bitfinex took a loan from uh, Tether, from the dollars that are backing Tether, and they used it to uh, withdraw. Now, the New York attorney, the New York attorney general, has a problem with this because he sees it as two separate companies co-mingling funds. And we all know that Tether and Bitfinex have the same owners, but they're technically two different entities. And this is illegal. And, uh, and they're going after it. Now, um, please read through this report. Merlin, that was the guy. It was the conversation uh, with Merlin. And right there, there it is. You guys see it on the screen. So, um, so that's basically, uh, so, so to, to add more to this, um, so that's, the, uh, that's basically the big problem. Now, the good news is that it looks like Tether was actually backed by dollars which I kind of never really said that they weren't, right? I always said that even if Tether is backed by dollars, those dollars will be confiscated. And there goes your Tether. Now, Bitfinex is claiming that that money from crypto capital was confiscated by, what was it, Portugal, uh, Poland, and who else? United States. And the United States, but the United States is saying, wait, we didn't confiscate the money. At least the New York Attorney General couldn't find you. You would think that if the United States confiscated any of Tether's money, the New York Attorney General would actually know that, right? I mean, like, government government is generally, you know, um, incompetent, but they're not that incompetent, right? Exactly. And both Poland and Portugal said, we have no idea what you're talking about. Right. So it looks like something I like. I don't, I don't want to accuse crypto capital of being shady. Uh, and, and here's the thing, right? Like, I, I, I know when things are scams, right? Like when you print your own money or you become your own security. I don't know enough about crypto capital to say what the hell happened there. But, but again, when there's smoke, there's fire. And uh, there's interesting articles connecting crypto capital to Quadriga and other troubled exchanges. Uh, so this was actually a pretty good read uh, from uh, Breaker Mag, Breaker Magazine. And it talked about, uh, it was a weak connection, but a connection between crypto capital and Quadriga. And when you go to the end of this article, um, 
Right. So they actually published an article a while back uh, talking about how Tether is no longer fully backed by dollars. And that's when that panic at Tether started. And uh, new documents link, link Quadriga CX founders to the li to Liberty Reserve uh, money laundering operation. Like a lot of the stuff in crypto is really, really shady. Like, uh, like you can click on these articles as well. And that's an older article as well. And it looks like crypto capital is involved. So that's, did, did I miss anything, Tyler? No, not at all, except I, I, I think um, whatever's going on with crypto capital is uh, going to be part, although it is not part at this point, of the investigation specifically by the Attorney General in New York. But uh, the Attorney General's office made clear, and everybody should understand, this is a petition to the Supreme Court of New York to uh, do a couple of things to uh, not only Ifinex, but Bitfinex, Tether, and about 12 other closely held companies, sub-companies run by the same very small group of people, which in the filing looks like it's no more than a dozen or two people total worldwide as part of all of these organizations backing uh, that uh, uh, are employees of Tether and or Bitfinex. It's, it's just mind boggling. But what is clear in the filing that crypto capital never signed any contracts with Bitfinex and or Tether or and or any of the subsidiaries for moving a billion dollars between those companies and crypto capital. Yeah, that's a problem. You would think so. So it was a wink and a handshake and all of a sudden a billion dollars worth of client money basically uh, was moved to what the attorney general said they believe is a Panamanian corporation, crypto capital, but they're not sure. They don't even really know what crypto capital is uh, after a year of investigation. So what all of this is about is to try to freeze any further action by any of the respondents, which are all of these subsidiaries of Bitfinex, Ifinex, Tether, and uh, all of their subsidiaries from doing anything to move any money uh, until they produce documents. And uh, that that's what this whole thing is about. Can I jump in for a second, Tom? Please. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, I don't know if I see you. Um, yeah, oh, okay, you're on the screen. Well, kind of, it's blank, by the way. Um, so I have a background actually in, uh, when I was, uh, I did work with Cambridge University. I was a research assistant for investment arbitration. And so it's like a real easy search, but what's real sketch also about crypto capital is it says at least on LinkedIn, they have three employees. They're, you know, or so it says on other searches, they're incorporated in Panama, but their headquarters is South Africa. Their contact on the website is Zug. 
Um, there's a lot of sketchiness of why companies do all of these different ways, which uh, I'm not going to get into right now because I'll let you guys keep going. But uh, to your point of sketchiness with crypto capital and also what you guys are going to talk about in a little bit, um, there's, there's an importance that should be noted of where things are incorporated, where they say that their headquarters and where they have other home bases of potentially where they're hiding money um, and also having multiple opportunities to hide money. So I will uh, turn that back to you. Right, so let me, um, so, so here's the thing, right? So it, it's amazing how people in crypto take the shadiness to such a level, they're actually gonna wreck a lot of good, you know, uh, privacy laws. So Panama is one of those countries that give you a lot of, you know, privacy and a lot of freedom. Now, those Panama papers came out and stuff. Now, this is somewhat tolerated by the world government because usually you're just hiding your own money. When you start using, or when you start abusing the privacy of some of these countries um, to hide other people's money and then steal it, it's going to end very, very badly for the laws of those countries. So, like, something like this, if a billion dollars of customer money goes missing because of the privacy of Panama, Panama is not going to be very happy about this either. Like, people are probably going to jail here. And I really wonder what will happen to people that used to work at, uh, because I've had friends that have, well, I've known people, I've pissed them, I've pissed these people off for working at Bitfinex. But like at what point these people were my friends uh, that were working at Bitfinex, and no matter how much, you know, I warned, don't associate with this company at all. Uh, they still did. So I wonder what happens to like former employees that have like realized something shady was going on and just quit. Uh, don't they have a duty to like import, inform the authorities? Well, you would think it's, um, uh, I think what's very interesting now, uh, if you could pull up the report uh, tone and sure. just take a look at the conclusion of all of the evidence on the first 20 pages, just go to page 21 because all of this other stuff in the first 20 pages is the evidence that the AG was presenting to the Supreme Court. But on page 21 and 22 is the essence of what the Attorney General is asking. So it says there, uh, the proposed order accompanying this application requires production of the following documents and information. And it basically says, we want to know everything that, and get a hold of every document, uh, every email, every communication of every transaction, all of the people involved in terms of the clientele. And then on page 22, it says, uh, at the bottom, number 97, however, the OAG does seek to enjoin the respondents who are Tether, 
Ifinex, Bitfinex, and all the subsidiaries from taking any further action to access, loan, extend credit, encumber, pledge, or make any other similar transfer or claim between Bitfinex and Tether in order to preserve the status quo, Latin meaning the way things stand now, and protect the interest of New York Tether holders in Bitfinex clients. What everybody's got to realize is this only has to do with investors in New York State. So to me, the implication of this is we are about to get across the country from attorney generals in other states, a class action suit with the respondents being the same ones here, Bitfinex and Tether, to be enjoined from doing any of these things in those states to protect investors in those states. Now, maybe I'm wrong and Tone can get his um, legal team together, but I believe what we will see very shortly after the New York Supreme Court either grants this petition or denies it for some reason, that there will be a flurry of other activity that will then expand the investigation all the way to the Justice Department on a federal level. And because of that, people are dismissing this by just saying, well, it looks like Tether actually had dollars backing um, each of the Tethers, but that's not at all clear, only that they were able to move 600 and some million dollars between these two entities Bitfinex is really the one that's the target of this. And then any potential illegal activity between the same people that own Tether and Bitfinex. It appears what happened is a couple of people sat on one side of the table, signed a bunch of papers, went over to the other side of the table and accepted those papers for that loan. In other words, there was no arm's length negotiation that took place in moving this money. And it was never publicly uh, to investors or through the public or on the website indicated that they had taken that action. And that's what the AG is going after. All right, no, thanks for that uh, recap, Tyler. So now the big questions are, um, what does this mean for the price? Now, one of the reasons I really wanted to do this show, and I don't remember, uh, uh, actually, I haven't checked. Uh, I'm going to coin market cap now. Uh, I'm curious if one tether is still worth $1. And it looks like one tether is worth more than $1. So one tether is worth $1 and one penny, according to uh, CoinMarketCap. Let me go back to screen share for a second to show you guys, which I find very almost comical at this point, right? Uh, so there it is. One tether equals $1 and one penny. Uh, looks like uh, Dcash is back in the top five. Litecoin, EOS is out of the top five. Binance is now in the top five. Uh, 
Interesting. Uh, wasn't Zcash up there? What happened to Zcash? I thought it was like rallying hard. I guess it dropped. Can I ask a question, Ton? I'm going to ask a couple ones that I'll play maybe audience. Well, what is a stable coin supposed to be? Why is it very obvious and are we laughing that uh, it being above a dollar is ridiculous? Well, uh, we now know that uh, Bitfinex has taken money from Tether in order to pay people out. So no matter how you slice this, 800 and something million dollars is still missing. Like, and lots of questions as to where it is. Did some country confiscate it? Or uh, did uh, crypto capital just isn't giving it up, right? So it's uh, clearly, it's now a fact that Tether is not being backed dollar for dollar. And... Apparently, this doesn't seem to bother anyone, and I wanted to talk about um, that situation with Tyler. Well, take take a look on your uh, market cap. Go to seven days instead of 24 hours and take a look at Tether. You'll see that it dropped down to 98.8 cents. Uh, well, sure, but uh, that um, drop in, I mean, considering the fact that Tether dropped, to 85 cents in October. Um, this is like a little weird, no? Well, it's very weird because prior to that drop in October, they did not have the ability to uh, back Tether with all of these other instruments, such as loans and uh, other assets, including according to the attorney general, money from the accounts of employees of Bitfinex and Tether. In other words, people that uh, actually wrote out checks to support the Tether holding a dollar. Um, so that, that's the, the big story. And when you read through the 23 pages, you can see the timeline of when uh, Bitfinex and Tether began changing what was on their website, always after the fact of actions they had already taken. And then this very bizarre thing that happened that got the AG to start acting immediately because the AG in New York had been meeting with the lawyers of uh, both Bitfinex and Tether, and they're named as Morgan Lewis out of New York and Steptoe and Johnson out of Washington, D.C. And for 60 days, the Attorney General's office tried to get meetings with the attorneys to uh, be able to get certain information from Bitfinex and Tether. And they were stonewalled, according to the Attorney General, for two full months. And it was during those two months that they put together this scheme to move money between Bitfinex and Tether in the form of the loan without telling the AG that they were doing it and the lawyers said they didn't realize that was going on either.
So well, that's uh, pretty bad. It 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 is, and that's why everybody needs to actually read. It's only twenty three pages long. Just read each word and draw your own conclusions. My conclusions and what uh, Leah discussed when we had our program was that you know if it looks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. And after reading this thing, what we're talking about here is something extremely fishy at not only Tether, but at Bitfinex and certainly at Crypto Capital, which isn't even a part of this, except that's where $850 million went missing. Can I yes. make one? Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, go ahead, Leah. One more note is just we actually, you know, we've covered this on a bunch of shows, Tone, also Ty. Um, and one thing that was real sketch and that's also in there was, right, they, it was, it was noted that they were using the Puerto Rico-based Noble Bank. And something that we talked about on the Bitcoin morning brief at the time was that, you know, I was surprised when I saw that it's a, a fully reserved bank. Uh, which is pretty rare. And then also with this situation, you know, it's uh, it's very strange. But just well, to know that it's also out of business. Banking. It's also out of business now. Yeah, it, exactly. But you know, full reserve banking, it's out of business. Supposed to be, you know, at the time, right? You know, back in 2018, Tether was seen and talked about as the second most liquid crypto. You know, there's just also some sketch around full reserve banking for the most part and just, you know, how all the business of that works, but keep going. Well, 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 no, I'm, I'm, I mean, full reserve banking can't compete in the world of fractional reserve banking. So any full reserve bank will always go out of business. I don't understand why you even try. Uh, you just have a monster competitive disadvantage, uh, but, but that's for another show. Um, oh, wait, I thought I was charging it. Hold on. I uh, have to raise that. So, hey, so if you guys really want to know more, uh, this article just came across by wire. Thank you, Leah, uh, this morning. Uh, but I see that it's written from Francis Coppola, who, who hates both Bitcoin and capitalism. So probably um, a perfect person to give you the breakdown of how horrible the situation is uh, would be her. Uh, <laughs> So uh, question you, Tone, back to price, right? We're having a bit of a spike now. People were- Oh, we you know, are? Let me see, hold on. So the, the question is gonna be also that a lot oh, of people- yeah. yeah, is that given this FUD that they need to exchange for Bitcoin to even get out of Bitfinex, it's interesting that Bitfinex is even still trading. Do you think that this will continue to you know, provide a spike? Uh, or just simply start to, you know, go back into a bear market? How do you think short term and, you know, after all this kind of gets figured out slash, you know, talk about it later, but are people just not even going to pay attention to this too much? Okay, so here's the thing, right? Here's what bothers me. Look, um, news like this, and, and I've been saying it for days, it's hard to say if this news is going to rally Bitcoin or if this news is going to crash Bitcoin, it was, it, it, it's hard to say, okay? It really could go either way. I can make the argument for both sides. But what is stupid is anyone that's defending Tether and Bitfinex, I don't know 
why you would, uh, other than maybe you're a holder of those Bitfinex equity tokens. Um, I, I like, like this is not FUD. This is the opposite of FUD. This is reality. So that's what kills me right now, where people are calling us that are talking about the facts of the situation and who have some experience in traditional matters of money. Uh, how bad this is like it's uh, it's like the lawyer said like you can kind of do anything you like in blockchain no one cares but when money gets involved you may want to be a little bit careful <laughs> so that's a, that's a great point uh and what's what's important is for a while bitfinex was one of the if not the largest in terms of volume, which we now know 80% uh, plus of it was not real volume on many of these exchanges, according to some research that's been done. But it was a tremendous player in terms of volume and one of the biggest users of Tether. Uh, we're talking about approximately a billion dollars out of a total of $2.6 billion, which is the total amount of Tether outstanding right now. So you're talking about 40 to 45% of the entire supposed holdings being gone and nobody knows where it is. Right, so um, the other thing that I wanted to discuss with you, and, uh, and here is the interesting part. So a few months ago, I really forgot who I was having this conversation with. Uh, I can try to guess some names, but like I shouldn't. And uh, somebody really smart, let's put it that way. And we were just discussing the Tether situation. And here was, uh, here was the, the point of the conversation and I wanted to get your take on this, Tyler. Is it possible that we are at a point uh, in crypto that Tether is so critical to the people, this is, it's the same people that are screaming, you're spreading FUD when you talk about the, the, the you know, the, the U.S. government going after Tether and Bitfinex. Um, Tether is so critical to the ecosystem that even if every single dollar of Tether becomes confiscated, every single person at Bitfinex gets arrested and says you have to shut it down, the shitcoiners will just say, um, how about we just all agree that one tether equals one dollar? Uh, because admitting that one tether is worthless is more dangerous for us. That that's an interesting question. Somebody asked me this morning, um, what is what's the next step? What's going to happen with the cryptocurrency world if all of this turns out to be as the AG has alleged that it is. And my answer was, I have no idea. I have no idea if we're gonna see Bitcoin go up $1,000 or down $1,000. I have no idea if we're going to see a collapse of all the other cryptocurrencies um, just literally overnight. It's like when you turn over a rock before you turn over the rock, try to decide in which direction all of the bugs are going to run. 
That's just what the AG has done. The AG turned over this giant rock that was the basis of being able to move money from cryptocurrencies into a thing called Tether, into a thing called cash in four different currencies. That was the basis of almost all the trading, particularly at places like BitMEX. What happens when all of a sudden the light goes on, you turn the rock over, where does everybody run? I have no idea. And I think the best advice I can give my clients is don't be in any of these things until we clarify what the ecosystem really looks like, not what it's marketed to be, not what everybody that has money invested in it wants it to be, but what is actually there? What is the substance of the ability to move money from your bank to your wallet, to an exchange, into a cryptocurrency, back out of the exchange, back into your wallet, back into your bank. And until we can answer that question, and the AG is going to try to keep pressing it to find those answers, why in the world would you want to be in this? Now, everybody says, well, Tyler, it's because you want it to go down to $1,000. Or Tyler, you think it's in a bear market. I don't think it's in a bear market. I know it's in a bear market. It's been in one since December of 2017, and it still is. Now, if somebody spikes the price of Bitcoin right now to a point high enough that I can no longer make that claim, I will re-examine how I'm looking at Bitcoin. I will not re-examine how I'm looking at all these other cryptocurrencies, but that has not happened yet. And now this news is coming out. So everybody's got to make up their own minds what they believe is the truth behind all of this. And uh, that's about as clear as I can make it from my point of view. Tyler, can I ask a follow-up question? Tone, if that's yeah. okay. Yeah, um, Tyler, they were obviously given this FUD. A lot of articles came out. We had our stance that especially FUD around Tether was also keeping institutional investors away from the space. One, especially with Tether, there was a lot of skepticism around, again, which we are confirming here, accessibility to legitimate banking services and stability with its peg to the dollar and lack of transparency, which are coming out in this report. Do you think that this will further that institutional investors are going to stay away? How much do you think they actually know about stable coins enough that beyond being in a bear market, beyond that, that this FUD will scare them uh, and potentially for how long or what would need to be fixed? Well, I actually think this is a great first step to giving large institutions um, some confidence that the regulators are going to start cleaning up this mess. And up until now, we haven't seen that. So I think the AG, you've got to tip your hat. We didn't get it from the SEC. Uh, we didn't get it from the CFTC. 
except in general terms, but nobody actually doing any specific investigation to the extent that they are, except very, very low hanging fruit. If I'm a big institutional investor waiting to see how this is all going to shake out, this is a very good first step. And I'm actually very pleased to see that uh, somebody had the guts to finally say, this is BS and it's going to stop now. All right. Um, yeah, Leah, thanks for keeping an eye on the questions. If anything good comes up in the live chat, I'm not really looking at the live chat. I did raise the slow mode to three minutes just to make it more manageable. I tried doing some QA last night. And uh, even with a two-minute slow mode, there was still still scrolling way too fast. So I uh, increased that. Hey, Tyler, so here's the other thing, right? Because of this. Uh, uh, if they are going after Bitfinex, which I believe has like, like KYCs, everyone that uses their platform, what does this mean for exchanges that don't KYC at all? Like... Uh, you know, a lot like a Bitmax, for example. Yeah, that, that that's a great question. Um, I, I think, in a sense, it actually puts um, a lot of the regulators uh, in a position where they can't do much about it. Um, the big thing about New York is New York was one of the only states that uh, issued these licenses for money transfer and Bitfinex and Tether and that group actually got a license. And that's what gives the AG the ability to go after them. If they didn't get that license, they wouldn't be able to have any uh, clients in the state of New York. Um, and they are not supposed to have any individual clients, but they can have business entities under this license and uh, an, another separate group that is uh, specially designated. But in the AG's report, they're saying that even after um, uh, being limited by that license, they, they meaning Bitfinex, continued to do business with individuals uh, against what the license allowed them to do. So uh, your question's a good one, and that is how long is the reach of regulators in the United States to organizations that are completely outside the United States that uh, attempt not to take in any U.S. citizens into what they do. And so far, what we've seen the SEC go after are some small exchanges that clearly were doing business with U.S. citizens. So unless this spreads to other regulators around the world, I'm not too sure that the long arm of the law from the United States can extend. Yeah, no, uh, this is definitely a question for the law review show, which we need to do soon, considering this story. Uh, man, like, so, so, so much is breaking. Like, uh, yeah, there'll be so much more to come on this. But it's very interesting that the price of Bitcoin is rising. And like I said, this news now, if, if we can go past six and a half thousand um, with, you know, this kind of news, 
it's very possible that the bottom is in and we can change trend from a bear market to a bull market. But we still need, you know, a uh, an orderly pullback. If we don't get an orderly pullback, and Bitcoin goes sky high currently, where without shitcoins dying, it's going to be a very scary situation. And that means that a, a bubble of like massive proportions can can happen. That's going to end disasters. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I will become bullish if the price tells me it is bullish. Up till today, up till this move backed up to the 5,300 level, it has not shown me that it's bullish. It needs to get above this 5,800 to $6,200 overhead resistance. And at that point, depending on how it gets there and how long it stays there, uh, I will be the first one to say that uh, a bottom is in. None of that has happened. Therefore, I stick with um, my belief that the bottom is not in, and I only give it about a 20% chance that it is in. And I don't think that any of this uh, stuff, meaning uh, the legal problems of Tether and um, Bitfinex, in any way supports the bullish case for cryptocurrencies. Yeah, no, and uh, and I'm I'm with you on that. And I'm looking here at the weekly chart, and the weekly chart is still, you know, below that uh, moving average. That is the 50-week moving average. Uh, Bitcoin is still below that. It is still, I mean, the biggest resistance is the underside of the triangle in that $6,000 to $6,500 range. Like all of this support is now very massive and critical resistance. So even breaking above these moving averages uh, is only step one of several steps needed to get me to say we're in a bull market. Yeah, I, I, I agree completely. There are a number of signs that um, the bottom is in, and uh, Willy Woo and um, and uh, Murad built a very strong case with what I think is not particularly strong technical evidence. Not because they didn't do the work, and the work that they did, I think. Uh, they did it as well as could be done. It's just that it's with a very limited time frame with only two previous cycles. And uh, I hope they're right. I hope the bottom is in. I hope Bitcoin begins a new bull market. I just don't see the evidence for it. Yeah, and the other interesting thing, right? Like every time we compare the current bear market to the old bear market, uh, people always, you know, make fun of us, and they have been for over a year now, saying it can't be the same, it has to be different, it has to be different. But they're all assuming but it, that it has to be different and more bullish. Uh, why can't it be different and more bearish? Well, that's my point exactly. I think if we see something uh, begin to change compared to the previous two cycles, it's going to be to the downside, not the upside. And uh, it won't take long, if I'm correct, 
for the majority of people to run to that side of the boat. And that would be taking out the 3,100 bottom. After that, uh, it's going to be a free fall because there won't be anybody left uh, holding on uh, to their positions. Because basically what it will do is repudiate the earlier two cycles. And that leaves all analysts in a place where they can't rely on their indicators. And uh, we'll, we've just got to wait and see exactly how it plays out. Oh, I wanted to also get your thoughts on uh, this article. Novogratz Galaxy Digital Crypto Fund lost $272 million in 2018. Uh, I mean, Tyler, you've traditionally managed money. Uh, like, it doesn't seem to bother anyone that this happened. Uh, with, uh, I, I, I don't know what to say about this. Well, uh, you've pointed out in the past, and it's important, that a hedge fund manager is managing his own or her own and other people's money. And they're doing that under very strict guidelines that were set up uh, back in the, uh, under the Investment Advisor Act of 1940 that the Securities and Exchange Commission uh, looks over. Now, because they only deal with accredited investors, meaning people with a lot of money, They've got a lot more leniency of what they can do and how they can do it. But I'm not talking about that side of it. I'm talking about if you are an investor with a hedge fund manager and all of a sudden on one bet, you've lost a quarter of a billion dollars. I don't know how big the overall fund was, but I imagine this is a very large percentage of people's money. Those people will redeem. And when they redeem, that means things have to be sold because it's not sitting in cash. And what happens in hedge funds is usually you only get a redemption ability once every six months or once every year. In some cases, your money can be locked up as for as much as three to five years without you being able to get it back, even if you want out of it. It's not like a mutual fund that you can buy today and sell tomorrow. You're locked in. And that means there's tremendous pressure that builds up between those investors and the hedge fund manager, in this case, Novogratz. Can I make a comment? Um, Because this cracked me up. Um, He was talking his books that, Tyler, you can even explain that or tone, for so long. And, you know, just this itself, I find hilarious. Well, I, you know, it's not hilarious for anyone who invested, but, um, you know, in the, the first year alone, right? Like, the fourth quarter decrease was, you know, all, well, I think we talked about it before, like 49 million of net realized losses on the digital assets, 25 million of unrealized loss on, you know, investments. They actually have invested in quote unquote startups. But one of them actually that people should note, if they remember that Galaxy Digital invested in backed 
LLC. I mean, they deployed in aggregate, right? 133 million in 2018. Yet, of course, he's saying that, you know, don't worry, uh, we're in a really good position to scale. It was only because of 2018. You know, it's uh, obviously not our fault, right? But, you know, it obviously is their fault. You know, and the first few months of 2019, they, you know, they actually increased their activity across different business lines. He is what he's saying that pretty much, don't worry, guys, we're, we're on it. We're good. But obviously, if you're losing 273 million during your first year of operations, uh, you're, you're not on it and you're not doing good. And especially Whoa. when you're investing in startups, which for the most part, you know, could, could be able to offset certain losses. But again, to Tyler's point, if you're a hedge fund structure, you know, you have a lot of actually leniency in what you can do. And actually, especially with the amount of money and the background that Novogratz has, you should have been a little bit more of a market maker, not in terms of Bitcoin or even investing in EOS, which is hilarious, but in these acquisitions, you know, or, or investments that he's making outside into companies and be able to, if he's a, a good manager slash, you know, actually investor slash business owner, he should have been able to turn those around into a profitable company that could have actually helped out Galaxy Digital. So I think there's a lot more to this story here that, you know, beyond just the amount that he lost, which is tremendous, uh, his ability that he's been talking his books for quite a long time. And that, you know, obviously, of course, he's saying that, don't worry, this is going to be fine. But they, they had expanded into a lot of activities and the hedge fund can do that. And so there shouldn't have been so many realized losses. That's my personal opinion. Gentlemen. Well, I'm more curious as to the thinking that went in, went on at this fund to invest in these amazing ICOs like WAX and Block B, oh, which geez. I've never even heard of. Um, Clearly EOS, Leah loves EOS. And uh, My favorite. Well, Ethereum and EOS, I can understand, but Block B, Wax, Kin, um, Alor, like I don't even know what the hell these things are. And we live and breathe this space. Well, it, it's very, the, the unfortunate thing from his point of view is they started this up at the beginning of a bear market. Now, ARC management had some of the best returns of any hedge fund or any fund in 2017. Why? Because they were invested in the bull market. So unfortunately, all of these things we're seeing were taken during the beginning of a bear market that just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Now, you know, we can argue about should they have known it was a bear market? Should they not have been making statements like the bottom is in at six million at um, $6,000? Should they have been making statements about where it's going to go by the end of the year publicly while you're in the middle of a bear market. Um, other people can debate that. All I'm saying, it's it's too bad. I put myself in that position, starting up a fund or a hedge fund 
at exactly the wrong time where you tell all the investors where you're going to put your money. You're not going to buy the stock market. You're not going to buy European stocks. You're not going to buy currencies. You're going to put it all into the crypto market right at the beginning of a bear market. So, you know, these things happen. Um, and but that's a lot of money. Well, can I add something to it? Is that, you know, Galaxy is actually, you know, Galaxy Digital Holdings is actually a publicly traded company, right? And when they IPO'd on the Canadian Stock Exchange, I believe the, the which stock exchange, the TSX, right? They, they plummeted, you know? So he, there's, there's... What's up? Go for it, Doug. Go ahead, Liam. And no, go ahead. What was interesting to me is also the way that he did it. He did a reverse takeover route, which is also pretty funky. But again, um, yeah, Tyler Tone, you know, jump in. But yes, they, they released their, their quarterly losses, their yearly losses. They've always been losing money, um, which has always been coming out. Unrealized losses on their digital assets. But, you know, they are a publicly traded company. Um, they're beholden to other types of, therefore, investors beyond you know, just what Tyler was talking about, uh, which would be, you know, LPs. But, um, it, it, I mean, yeah, this is, this is no bueno in my eyes of also institutional investors trying to be, uh, you know, not worried about this space beyond thinking that they're a private company. I mean, there's, there's a lot here that actually publicly traded company. I'm going to have to jump off. I'm sorry. Uh, this has been great. Uh, we haven't resolved anything, but I think everybody's very clear on how we're looking at all of this. And I think this is one of the most important topics on a fundamental basis that has come along for the crypto markets in Bitcoin. I got interested in looking into it. Everything else has kind of been peripheral and uh, low-hanging fruit, obvious frauds that uh, regulators have gone after. We don't know exactly what happened here. And we need the New York Supreme Court to, uh, to allow this petition to go through so that the investigation can really be there. Thanks, Ty. Right. Hey, thanks, Tyler. Uh, Leah, do you have to run as well, or you still have a few minutes? I gotcha. I'll ask some questions to you. All right. Uh, hey, thanks, Tyler. And uh, yeah, I'll take a look at the questions. Uh, but uh, before that, people have been asking for a chart of Ripple. And uh, you, you can see right here, back in December of 2017, uh, Ripple hit a weekly nine and beautifully went straight up. Now, that didn't hold. This is the weekly chart. We then came up on another nine, went a little bit lower, got to an aggressive 13, got a doji candle, and then had a bit of a bounce as well. We then made a lower low. Now, here is where Ripple becomes critical right now. You hit a nine, and you should be in a countdown phase, and you are, but you're still in a deferred 13. Oh, no, you're not. I have to update my indicator. Uh, let me let me put the latest one up because that countdown should have been canceled. Uh, we made some upgrades. So if you're using an old version of the indicator, you may want to update. Um, 
Okay, yep, here we go. You're in a countdown phase from this nine here on a weekly scale, and you are coming up on another nine. But, but the thing is, right, so Ripple is, it's not looking good, but it needs to get lower than this low. If Ripple can get lower than this low, then it can accelerate down, and then it can get lower than that low, and then it will accelerate down. So things aren't looking well for Ripple. And keep in mind, they're like releasing Ripple, like the company, right? Uh, and, and we haven't heard from R3 in a while. It's possible that R3 is done because they couldn't compete with the $48 billion that uh, Ripple printed for themselves. Uh, so usually when a company has to, uh, you know, fight and claw for a few million dollars of funding and another company prints $40 billion out of thin air, uh, the company with $40 billion has a little bit of an advantage, uh, which is why I hate Ripple so much. Um, all right, uh, Leah, let's uh, do some questions. I'm going to turn off screen share here. Oh, wait, let me just glance at Bitcoin one more time. I'm just curious if it's still rising. Um, like I said, Bitcoin can go either way. We're sitting in uh, a huge resistance cluster. I mean, if you, you can scalp in either direction, but I'm not interested in taking on trades in either direction right now, which is not clear. Um, all right, I'll leave it there. Okay, keep yourself on screen share, Nami. Take me off. I haven't had enough coffee. Yeah, um, no, you look great. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Okay, a couple more Bitfinex questions. People are asking about the S&P, but we're going on almost over an oh, hour. Yes, I, forgot so maybe. About, I forgot about the S&P. So um, it's up to you, even if you want to do a full show about S&P a little later today. But uh, yeah, so we can bring that up. I guess the main question that we're hearing over and over again in the live chat is pretty much the same, but worded differently, which is just that, um, is it possible that Bitfinex is assisting in the rise of the Bitcoin price in order to increase the value of the remaining holdings in prep for their exit? Um, and then the exit could cause a dump. Are they manipulating? I don't think so. I mean, it didn't work for Mount Gox and it's not going to work for Bitfinex. Uh, no, it's just that uh, people want the Bitcoin, right? And people that have Bitcoin don't really want to sell them the Bitcoin. So this is why the price of Bitcoin on, uh, on Bitfinex is so high. Because if you have Bitcoin on Bitfinex, you just move the Bitcoin out because you're afraid that if you sell it for Tether or uh, that it's a hot potato that you can't cash in. And therefore, you're either taking Bitcoin off of Bitfinex or you're buying Bitcoin to take it off Bitfinex. Uh, and, um, and that's why the premium on Bitfinex is so high. I don't think Bitfinex is actually responsible for that. Last thoughts? Uh, no, that's it. I kind of should probably go enjoy the ocean behind me. <laughs> I think that you should. It looks pretty beautiful. All so, right. Uh, we'll look at S&P next time.
Yeah, definitely. A lot of interesting things going on uh, right now, and especially what you saw yesterday. And I know you want to talk about Lyft, and Uber has announced their date. They are on their road show. This is going to be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, we'll definitely talk about that on the next show. Hey, Leah, thank you for joining. Uh, we'll say thank you to Tyler next time we chat with him. And uh, it was a great show. Guys, the Tether and Bitfinex news is not fun. This is like Tyler says, you turn over a giant rock and now people are trying to figure out which way the plugs are going to run. And uh, this is why the price of Bitcoin has been going up, going down, going up, going down for the last week since the news broke or for the last four days since the news broke. And it looks like it's breaking up right now and tomorrow morning we could be under 5,000. So uh, if you're a scalper, if you're a short-term trader, uh, good luck trying to catch those. That is not my specialty, so I will stay away and wait to see which way the bugs are running. Absolutely. And I think this is not the end. This is just the beginning of what we're going to start hearing about with lawsuits in the space. So in regards to big money coming in, I would uh, be cautious on that assumption. I know a lot of people like to believe that. Um, don't if you disagree with me, but otherwise, everybody, ciao and tone. Have fun today. Bye, guys.